This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Oh, the Horror. It's a horror movie podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer, Steve Allman. And I'm the expert, Rob Holmes. And we're finally back. We took about a week off because uh, scheduling and 4th of July holidays and a bunch of craziness had come along with uh, me and my outside projects. So now I'm finally back in the saddle and ready to give us a... A movie review, thanks to Rob's insanely good patience. Uh, no problem, man. It's been fun. This was uh, this was a great film to visit. We are uh, we're taking a look at 1977 Suspiria, directed by Dario Argento. Yes, uh, n- widely regarded as a masterpiece of 70s and classic horror, probably one of the OGs, you would say. Uh, I, so I had heard quite a bit about Suspiria without even actually really knowing the type of movie that like I didn't know its name I didn't put a name to these images that I had seen in popular culture before uh because I had seen a lot of like old 70s aesthetic movies when I was in college didn't really put together that the images that I saw from this movie were this movie uh Dario Argento pretty much like one of the most outspoken uh, writers and directors of horror and cinema, you could say, of the 1970s. I would absolutely. I would say throughout the 70s and the 80s, uh, he was very, very influential in giallo films and in the slasher genre in general. Um, this film is considered his masterpiece. It I mean, kind of- I would certainly... I would certainly consider this film to be a masterpiece for many, many reasons. Right. For this, it brought together everything that he had done in his career so far and kind of everything he would do afterwards. And it was kind of the perfect uh, marriage between all of those things. And, And this, it's so... When you look at this film, it kind of hits everything that I would say a Criterion Collection film hits. The soundtrack by Goblin is absolutely fantastic. Cinematography, really well done. The editing in it, the lighting, the colors, how much it pops. uh, Just everything about this film is great. And the one thing that a lot of people will say about Argento is a lot of his films don't make sense or the story isn't solid. In this one, I find the more I watch it, the more... I fully understand this story and understand how intricately woven in a lot of the the minor things that seem really small in this film have a very large effect on it. And I think that's that's also what makes this it's all of those things combined that just push it to a whole new level. And I think uh, you'll probably have to brief me on a lot of those things because a lot of the smaller details of this movie kind of tended to wash over me with the kind of sensory overload that this movie's kind of giving you. 
uh, almost from the start because there's a lot of things going on that kind of set you off in a weird way. The music is very ahead of its time, knowing that it came out in 77, of all places. Uh, the the overdubbing for the entire movie is... The entire movie, even though the characters are speaking English, because their their lips sync up to English words... Uh, Some of them, not is, all of them, though. They're not, not every it, single one. There's a handful that do... And right. then a lot yes. of other ones, it's just, yeah, you can tell that Again, it was a very... that's another detail that kind of washes over me because I just keep seeing this unearthly type of mouth movement not matching completely with audio. And it, it's weird to see, but then again, it just washes over you in the course of watching this movie. It's this artistic trance this movie puts you in with all of these hypnotic colors and this staccato editing style. A lot of these things are so far ahead of its time and also very, very unique that could only happen in this time in a weird way. This movie is firing on all cylinders. Well, I, it's, I it's can a, easily say that. It's a very dreamlike film, and that's why when you have dubbing that is not great at times, uh, it it works in this type of movie, and even when some of the performances aren't what you would expect it's this dreamlike state and this kind of nightmare fuel that it leads to towards the end. I can understand why these performances are as stifled as some may be, or as rushed as some may be. Uh, like Madame Blanc, I think, is probably yeah. the most prime example of, I'm just here to state things for exposition. This is what I'm here to do. I am done now. And then goes off to do her thing. But it's a character choice that seems to go through her until that moment is broken towards the end where you see her kind of being who she really is. Exactly. Uh, and normally, I've seen movies like this from the 70s. Lesser movies would have a character like that because that was just very much a stylistic thing that people did. Like, there are characters that just say a bunch of stuff because of exposition, because there wasn't really... Things weren't as clever as they are now, or that was just the style at the time for what they did. And to a point, that matches... Like, okay, I could believe that because, you know, style of filmmaking at the time, and, you know, I, I, I'm willing to forgive it. But then at the, at the heel turn of that character it's a it's a very surprising revelation like the movie's smarter than you think it is yeah and that time. and that's when all these complaints that i had let's say the first time i saw this movie and i had a lot actually the first time i saw it because everyone was saying how amazing it is this was years and years ago and i just thought oh, okay well there's a lot of plot holes and there's a lot of issues in this movie what the hell is it even about and when you delve into it again and on a second watching third fourth fifth all the pieces start falling into place, and you realize that this is a very smart movie. Oh, it um, is. I, I, and even the things that I find to be plot holes, which can be very apparent, it, it's it's way sharper than anything it seems to let slide. Uh, and I don't really think that I could even fault most of those things, because again... A lot of the things that this movie's bringing to the table is incredible. But uh, again, bringing it back to uh, the legacy of this movie, uh, this movie is actually slated for a rather high-profile remake. Uh, it's it's less of a, a remake and more of a re-envisioning. And the reason that I say re-envisioning more than remake is that the director of this version has stated that he doesn't want to... He can never recreate what Argento did. 
I've seen the trailer for this. It looks amazing. Because when you think Suspiria and someone doing a remake or a re-envisioning of it, you're thinking, how are they going to get this right? And how are they going to do it in the way that Argento did? Is it going to feel cheesy? Is it going to feel fake? And instead, it seemed like Luca went in an entirely different direction, but a direction that I really want to see. Well, yeah, because in, at the end of the day, Suspiria 1970s, and from what this movie is, seems to be, it, it's a flex in style, it's a flex in tone, it's a flex in uh, cinematic prowess, and kind of, like, in a weird way, bonkers storytelling, uh, with very great artistic sentiment and, like, B-horror type of plotting, in, in like, a la, like, light Hitchcock or something like that. Like, well, so Hitchcock is, yeah. I mean, Dario Argento, one of his biggest influences is Alfred Hitchcock. His first film was in 1970, and that was Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It is such a Hitchcock film, man. Like, you can tell this guy was so inspired by Alfred Hitchcock. And then he even did a film uh, later on, I think, called Do You Like Hitchcock? as one of his one of his horror films. So he knows how to make an, a very well-crafted thriller. And what he did with Suspiria was just take the idea of doing that well-crafted thriller or making that giallo serial killer film and just adding in this very surreal, you know, colorful, vibrant world where in moments you're watching the scene and it looks normal, but then the camera turns and it's reds and greens and blues and, and vibrant yellows and oranges coming through, but it never feels forced. It always somehow feels like it's meant to be in this film, probably due to the fact that when you're in this ballet academy and you're moving through the hallways, some of those colors are part of the decor. So the door that has this muted red tone, you get a lot of that muted red in the lighting, and then some of the wallpaper, or some of the artwork, or some of the decorations in there bring in these other colors uh, that blend together very, very smoothly. Exactly. I again, it, we're not even really getting into the plot because not yet. The yeah, of, we've yeah. The, the things that this movie does, like trailblazing wise, is all in the form of this psychedelic filmmaking that just flies off the screen, and everything that kind of comes with that. The story itself, while on its at face value, seemingly simple. Very simple. In theory, very, very simple, yeah. Yeah, very simple, but also brings an incredible amount of style to where it almost accentuates uh, this simple plot to seem so complex. Uh, which sounds cheap as I say it, but again, I can appreciate its simplicity with its wildly complex style. I mean, that's and that's what makes this such a great film. It's a simple premise expertly crafted um so the so the premise is pretty simple it's a uh, american ballet dancer a young ballet dancer uh goes to a prestigious german ballet academy by the way this is an italian film takes place at a german ballet academy which i think is just awesome uh and then it comes to realize that this school is you know a front for something more something darker than just people doing ballet 
And as we find out throughout this film, it all points towards witchcraft. Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and the vibe is almost there from the beginning, you could say, uh, because uh, you get to see a lot of these allures or uh, illusions towards witchcraft. So well, in, in the in the in the opening the... in the opening theme, it starts off kind of subtle, and then it you can hear the witches in the background uh, in the goblin theme for that for the Suspiria theme, and it's really really well done. Uh, if you're just you know listening to it for the first time, you might not understand that they're really throwing a lot at you right there. But once you've seen it, and you do know that it is witches and everything, it just, it really, oh man, it just makes the movie. Absolutely. I, I think um, probably the best type of, uh, th the best sort of thing that I kind of took away from this movie is its small set pieces of very quick and uh, punchy set pieces like essentially we're gonna get to like the maggots because that's kind of my favorite that's my favorite sequence of this movie it's a it's a pretty solid sequence of this movie there are so many individual moments uh that are that are perfect shots of of cinema they are absolutely perfect moments that you could just take that blow it up and put it in a frame and you're like great i have this amazing work of art on my wall from a single frame of Suspiria. And there are so many of them. Absolutely. Um, but I think probably, like, again, the, the plot holes are kind of rampant. And I, I think uh, you could probably do a, do a better uh, job of explaining how those could be portrayed as something a bit smarter than actual simple plot holes. Well, it's, it's, sim it's small things that you kind of wonder throughout the film. So Susie arrives uh, at, you know, in Germany... She doesn't know where she's going. She ends up, you know, asking this cab driver to take over to the dance academy. And she arrives there. It's storming out. And she sees this girl, like, leaving but yelling at somebody through the door. And you can't really understand what's going on. There's a storm going on. But you'll find throughout this movie that not only can young Susie read lips, um, but she also can have moments where she starts hearing what they were saying which was a little ridiculous, but it's a good moment as far as cinema goes. Logically, it, it's it's absurd. Uh, but this right. girl, it, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. But this girl runs off, and that's why this when you when you look at this as more of a movie that could be a fever dream, or you know starts off as a dream and then goes into the fever dream and goes into a nightmare. That's where a lot of these plot holes kind of you know fill themselves over. And with this, then, you know, the girl runs off uh, to a friend's place, and they both end up getting murdered in this very vile, vicious, one of the most iconic opening scenes in horror. Oh, it, it's so cool. It's so fast. It's, it's so, so colorful. It's so fast. And... It's so insane. The architecture of that place and just how everything was put together. It's oh, very, it felt like very... a maze. It felt like I was watching them kind of just scramble out of a maze when it was simply yes. just a building. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so well stylized and, and executed. Um, and it leads to a very awesome opening double kill. 
And that's that's kind of you know that you're getting into something really really crazy with this film, especially with the close-ups. He does, you know, Argento likes to do a lot of close-ups of very vile, violent situations, like this girl getting stabbed to the point where you can see her beating heart and him just, you know, plowing that knife through is just it doesn't always look perfect. It, you know, it does have that little bit of a uh, B-movie look to it, but it's still very visceral and, and uncomfortable. And that it's it, that makes it extremely effective. Um, what I find very weird is the girl the next day goes to the academy and is talking to people and they're they're talking about oh yeah this this incident happened and two women were murdered no one really seems affected by this everyone's just kind of eh, this happened stuff happens no one's crying no one needs you know to be consoled or anything some are saying oh well she got what she deserved type thing and i'm like whoa uh well i i wouldn't say that i th i think it's more of again there's an emotional detachment that some of these characters seem to have that makes it otherworldly or other, like, bigger forces at play to where people don't react to things that any normal person would actually react to. And having seen a couple of these, like, uh, is the main character crazy or is it not, or is it all in their head kind of a thing, uh, it very much gave me that vibe of okay, we can't really trust what's real here. Sure, to to a point. Yeah, I think, well, they're, the fact that they were so dissociated away from everything else and just kind of like, oh, yeah, she's gone. Mm, okay, hey, welcome, you're new. Um, and then Madame Blanc going through, she literally was the queen of exposition. I don't, I have never seen somebody explain so much stuff in one minute worth of time. <laughs> yes, that's it. She went she's just you're gonna want to go to here and do this you're this type of person i can tell just by looking at you and and it was the same with miss tanner uh with she was so full of exposition and and there are certain moments where uh susie wants to go live off campus and she finds a place to go for a while even when she was told to go do this and then later she says you know i think i'm gonna stay with these people nonsense you have a place here this is where you need to go well if you can't be convinced I guess you can just go do what you want to do. And then Miss Tanner says, wow, you're so full of, you know, conviction or whatever. You know, it's like you're really yeah, strong-willed. She's explaining it like as, like this mid-Atlantic reporter. Just like, now listen, Sonny, you're going to be going down here and this is what you're going to do. But then Tanner says, wow, you're so strong-willed. I can't believe you would stand up to her or something along those lines. And I'm thinking to myself, she... She just stood there and, and kind of said, no, it's okay. I mean, I can stay. I'd rather I'd rather stay off campus. But she wasn't forceful about it. But the way that the line delivery, and this is where I can see the whole thing being lost in translation when we're getting to it all being dubbed. Because Jessica Harper, who played Susie, had even said um, when she was doing this film, they were just saying the lines while people were hammering sets in the background because they didn't care about there being, you know, all this excess audio since all of it was going to be dubbed. It, and to me, that kind of weakens the emotional impact for some of it. Right. And but again, I, I kept watching this because, again, the dubbing and the odd sound design of this entire movie just set me off 
for this movie. I didn't really feel emotionally attached to really anything that was going on. I was just kind of along for the ride and the style that it was going for. I never really sunk my teeth into the drama of it. It's just more, all right, I'm around for this crazy ride, and I can't really pay attention to much except exactly what's in front of me. I mean, I guess this is more of like a fish-out-of-water story. When you think about it, with Susie just being, like, thrown into this. And it, it, it just seems... It just got very strange to the point where every person was explained in a line or two of dialogue. You see a person, and then somebody explains who they are and what they do, and narrows them down, almost like just reading off a character description of someone. And that seems like how every character is introduced by these authority figures not even by all the authority figures but by everyone she meets it seems like hey it's like alice appearing in wonderland and all of the people telling her about wonderland or all the creatures telling her about you know what wonderland is like and who they are and you know what they represent so i can definitely see there being some of those elements to it because it is very colorful very vibrant very strange so it is almost like if alice in wonderland met witches this, that could be that could be seen I, I suppose um, it, very much a the the stylistic journey that we all go on it can easily be be uh, be compared to that right I mean this is essentially a giallo film except it just has witches in it that is the that is the big thing there's a supernatural element to it that takes it out of the traditional hey there's someone murdering someone uh, we need to find out who the killer is before it's too late and you know, everybody who's associated with this one person starts dying. Oh, no. And that's what we see in this. The girl who gets killed in the beginning, every single person who she was associated with ends up getting killed. Any person who she talked to about what she had seen ends up getting killed. It, it's just when you start realizing that everyone is intertwined throughout, it has that very giallo murder mystery vibe to it. Exactly. Now, you mentioned the term giallo. Uh, again, I'm a newbie here. What exactly does right. giallo mean? Because I don't know what that means. So giallo is basically the Italian um, horror thriller, but usually involving serial killers. Okay, so Italian slasher for uh, yeah, it's it's, terms. it's it's an Italian slasher. Um, usually, you know, I, in a lot of them, the killer wears black gloves and stuff, so you can't see who they are, if they're a man or a woman. It's very hidden that way. You know, this kind of is done throughout slashers, American slashers later on, especially with films like Friday the 13th, where you get that first person, you know, you get that POV shot of the killer moving through, and you kind of get it from their, uh, from their side, which is really effective, I think, for... For this film specifically, okay, and, and that, so clearly this is amongst a trilogy of uh, or films, or at least a lineage of films of the same style. This this is the first of a trilogy known as the Three Mothers, and it deals with the three witches, um, the heads of this coven. So, yeah, I mean that's what's really cool when you realize how much history and how layered this film really is. Um, it, it's not as simple as a as a basic slasher. Uh, we can clearly tell that because of these again these amazing killing set pieces of this stylized ballet house that I absolutely kind of just love to see. Uh, as far as far as what I could uh, surmise from what I would like to have seen in a movie like this, or who I could actually even 
recommend this for. I wouldn't say this movie is for everyone because, again, this is a a wild movie. Yeah, but uh, I think it, it's also it's Argento's most famous film, and it's also the one that if you're trying to get people into weird horror, like just something that is very avant-garde, this is the one to get people into. People seem to to come and or to flock more to this film, and and come out of it being like, you know what, I enjoy it. Some will be like, I don't know what the hell I watched, but I really really enjoyed it. Um, right, and I, I think I can say that with a couple of movies where like you're not really understanding or something like was kind of whack in that movie, but like you can't help but deny the uh, style and passion that is clearly jumping out of the screen. Like I kind of like like I rem- this reminded me maybe less so. I don't want to compare this directly, but uh, when I when I came out of this movie, I Im- I immediately felt like I did uh, when I after I had seen the Neon Demon. Directed by Nicholas Wending Riffin. Uh, I love that director. He's a he's an amazing stylistic filmmaker. But I thought that that movie was going way out there and made absolutely no sense. But it was beautiful, and I had to respect it on that grounds. Yeah, in this, uh, this one, movie, I would I would say Suspiria has more more going on it, and that's kind of where we get to some of the more layered stuff. And this is where. You know, Susie is now at the academy. She's not feeling well. She, you know, is trying to to dance, and, and but she's like, "Hey guys, I don't really think I can do this." And they keep pushing her to just be like, "No, just do it. You're fine." Um, and then she falls over, and people don't really seem too worried about her. There, there's this kind of a little like, "Oh, are you okay?" But everyone's just more so standing, looking at her. And then we follow that up with people trying to like get her to like force water down her throat uh and and you see this viciousness that just is coming from madame blank and and miss tanner and everyone else uh and then the doctor this creepy doctor comes in and you know something is wrong there's something very strange about how she's saying you need to oh you're coming back to the house now all your stuff was moved back here we talked to the girl and your money has been refunded and everything is okay now and at that moment, I'm just thinking, yeah, no, they're totally manipulating it, so this girl has to stay. Something about her is necessary to be in this building. And then you start realizing that it's happening to everyone throughout this, and they're luring them into a specific place. Because after we end up having her, they tell her that she needs to drink this this wine. At this yeah, point. He's they, like, they have were very insistent on the very wine. insistent on the wine, and that comes into play throughout because every time that she has this wine after her meal, she gets very, very tired and has to go to sleep. And usually that's the moment when someone's telling her, Oh my gosh, I had all this I knew all this information about someone and now this horrible stuff is happening to me. I'm really, really worried. Susie, Susie, wake up, Susie, Susie, and then Susie's out cold and someone gets murdered. I, yeah, I, re- I really, like, again, it's the weird journey that this movie takes where I'm like, this is not making, like, much sense, but okay, like, well, it's, yeah. it's going. And, well, the maggot scene, that's where, so it seems like a random scene, right? Well, now there are these maggots upstairs. Why would they all be up there, and why would there be this expired food? And I'm like, well, yeah, this is kind of a random moment to have happen. Except it all starts making sense when they said, all right, now everybody has to go and be in the dance hall and sleep there for the night. 
nobody can be in their rooms. They've now moved the girls all into one space. And they talk about the, um, like the headmaster headmaster, uh, who, you know, we later find out to be, um, Helena Marcos. And they talk about her as being, I guess, someone above the headmaster. I forget exactly what the term was for it. Talking about her and, and saying this girl, uh, her friend Sarah said, hey, when uh, I stayed at this place, I could hear her and there was this weird wheezing and I'm hearing that now. I can hear it. I can hear her here. She has to be here with us. And you see this figure behind sleeping behind them, right? It all started making sense when the whole witchcraft thing came into play to keep this woman young forever. And it's feeding off of their essence while they're sleeping all in the same place together. And once you start figuring, like, and it's stuff that isn't really mentioned outright, but when you start piecing it together and start realizing that there are these rituals, why would you keep them all together? Why would you keep these young people together? And it's to take that youth to keep her alive, to keep her going. And, and at that point, I'm like, this is, this is some batshit crazy stuff, man. Like, this is really cool. And I'm wondering where it's going to go next. And we go back to these, these ominous figures who we saw earlier, which was one of the, the worked in the kitchen, I think, over at Ballet Academy, and this weird little kid. And this is where it gets a little weird, where I don't know if the pianist had talked to the girl who got killed who gets killed in the beginning or had talked to Susie at some point or talked to Sarah actually um but this guy's dog who's normally normal you see the the woman and the little kid like walk up to the dog almost with this just the kid had this look of malice oh my man. god it's it, it's it was, absolutely crazy it's it, a, was, it this, was some omen shit it was very very cool to see and you're like, and you're like he i'm thinking he's gonna end up killing the dog and i was gonna be so mad but instead they say that the kid got bitten they go in and they kick the the pianist the blind pianist out and it's this very dramatic scene and he gets mad at them and they're mad at him and they kick him out and he said the dog would never do anything like that we get that scene out in that large square and you get this like you know something flying down through the air kind of haunting around the area and you think that's going to attack him and his damn dog turns on him and tears his throat out God, super, super crazy. Again, so and I was, I was captivated by the way that that was executed. All of those things were like a scene playing out the way that that did. I could like you could guess the trajectory of a scene sometimes. I never in a million years would have thought I would see that like frame of events. Like it was crazy. Uh, absolutely really liked it. It's yeah, um, it's it's so it was such a crazy scene, and then after that we run into, um, you know, going with Susie and and Sarah, and Susie, uh, has fallen asleep again, and Sarah is freaking out. Sarah, you know, but before that happens, she mentions something about I'm trying to find out where, you know, the madam where everyone is going, you know, where they're all moving around, and and they they're leaving here. And then Susie is way too smart for everyone else when she says, oh, I can hear where their footsteps are going. She obviously took a left. Let's count their footsteps and you can figure out where they're going. 
which is which is again like i'm like okay why like i it was really sort of testing my logic patience for a lot of it because it it, it, again it, it moves along at such an odd pace that i again the the crazier and crazier it gets by the end of this movie which i would kind of just like to talk about like almost now it, it, it like by the end of all of that craziness I, I I've I've kind of succumbed to whatever madness is is going to be showing me on screen because it's like it slowly but surely gets more and like less and less logical. Well, so yeah, so all these people who she gets in touch with, Sarah gets killed in this crazy barbed wire room and then gets her throat slit and all the you know a couple of other people are are I think maybe a couple of others die throughout, but we we end up meeting Udo Kier, he ends up telling us about how there's this coven of witches and, and everything that's going on with that. And then you get another history lesson right afterwards. And then the second she gets back, no one's around. She ends up following around. The, whatever her wine was, I think that, that was like blood, man. When she poured that out, there was more... It stuck to that sink when she realized she was being drugged with the wine. And Which is out crazy because you, you'd think, like, at first glance, you're like, oh, this is kind of like a bad, like, practical makeup or, like, s- s- like effect. But I'm like, oh, no, this actually is exactly how that behaves. Right. And that's where when all these things that you kind of write off the first time, once you know the ending and you know how the movie goes and you keep rewatching it, you're like, oh, man, there's so much in this film that they really wanted to make sure that, like, a lot of the loose ends really are tied up. You just have to dig deeper. Exactly. Um, and to the average viewer, it's easily missable. And this could easily be written off as something that's just odd or lost in translation or even not well made. To well, some, and then to at this aspect. point, you find out you find out they've been covering everything up. Susie has snuck out and. Oh, man, she ends up running in, or listening to the madam who totally breaks character at this point from her very fast talking um spaced out kind of way it was very weird like but then now she's just saying all right we've gotten rid of all these other people you think that they're trying to use Susie for something other than I guess draining her essence that she has some real major purpose and she's just basically saying we need to kill her like she just turns and is just saying yeah if you see her kill her yeah and she she yells it it starts as a it starts as a make her like disappear or something at, at first, and then it just goes into this long, just yelled out thing where she's just gone, 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 die, die, die. No, it's vanish, 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 and then die, die, die. It's it, it's it's wild. Uh, yeah. And then the place burns down. <laughs> well, well, first she runs into Helena Marcos. Before we even get to that, this is where it hits that fever dream aspect of she she finds the way through. She finds out that the girl who was at the door in the beginning was saying something about turning this flower in this back room. And this blue one, if she turns it, it'll open up a passageway. And so she does that. She goes through the passageway. She ends up in Helena Marcos's room. And the witch speaks to her and laughs this maniacal laugh. A, let's see, I guess a, a statue of a panther explodes. 
which is just awesome which is which is amazing and it was the the screenwriter uh along with argento his i think girlfriend at the time was daria nicolodi and she had a dream about this and it was about uh an invisible witch which when she pulls back the thing to see helena marcos who you've always seen in silhouette when you finally see her she's not there she's invisible um and she had this dream a fever dream basically about an invisible witch and a panther that exploded and instead of having an actual panther they did the statue of the panther exploding outward um but it's such an effective scene because then when the lightning happens oh and then her friend sarah is resurrected and you realize this witch is capable of resurrecting bodies as her own like zombie horde i guess I'm sure, man. Like I'm, last, I'm, just, I'm just sitting and nodding as you're saying all these things. I'm like, yep, that happened. Like, well, yeah, and she's <laughs> and she's like laughing maniacally at the end. I mean, it is just this insane, crazy maniacal like speaking, and she's like grunting, and then you know, it, there's lightning and everything going off, and you can see her image. You can kind of get this little silhouette, and uh, yeah, Susie. Susie's smart. Susie sees her. She's holding that, like, uh, you know, letter opener type thing or whatever it is. And just goes ahead and stabs Elena Marcos. And by doing that, causes a chain reaction of the whole building catching on fire and starting <laughs> to crumble around her. Which is such an awesome scene. Uh, it, it looks magnificent. It's it so looks gorgeous. Magnificent. Like her even moving through before she gets to Helena Marcos, there's a moment where she hits a yellow when she's coming through this curtain and she hits this moment of yellow. And it's something you don't see in the movie and it's so amazingly vibrant because it's been hidden away from us for this whole film and we're finally getting that. And then we just get to this insane ending and we watch it all fucking burn. Exactly. And again, you mentioned like these vibrant colors that come back to it. I've like had quite a few seconds of when I just wanted to pause and like look at how a frame of this movie was staged, was blocked, was lit, was anything. Like there's a moment where like I can't remember what scene it was, but like she is it's essentially like this dark blue light behind and then there's just this red outline that's like silhouetting her entire face there's and a lot it, it, there's a lot of that towards the end of the film and it is exactly. so well done it's beautiful it's so 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 good and again the, the culmination of this whole place burning down to its ending uh it is the only appropriate type of ending for a movie like this uh that's just it unravels it unspools logic at at the rate of 90 minutes. I just like it's, how it ends with you have been watching Suspiria. Yeah, like it's it's like a public service announcement about your dream or whatever that you had. And it, like I think the only type of interpretation that I immediately got was uh the filmmaker wants to put the audience through a fever dream. The, the uh, Oh, absolutely. Put the it, it's putting audience them through a nightmare yeah. fever dream. Well, you're taking them along for the ride, and it basically answers the question, if someone's like, what the hell did I just watch? You have been watching Suspiria. <laughs> and it answers uh, yeah, this... yeah, it answers it perfectly as you watch the whole place burn. And the credits are very short. It's short, sweet, to the point. It doesn't wear out its welcome. You know, it's, it's a fantastic movie. It's, and, it's wild, man. Yeah, I, and they, um, I'll say that. And they they say the the tagline for it was, 
The only thing more terrifying than the last 12 minutes of this film are the first 92. Uh, which, a very long and uh, bloated uh, tagline for a movie like this. Uh, but it's a, it's, a, it's a fair, clever point. I mean, it's effective uh, and it got people into the theaters and it got people, you know, it's made this oh, sure. uh, one of the most iconic horror films ever actually i i can see that and i um i'm surprised and somehow not surprised that this movie has caught on to mainstream audiences but uh a classic like this uh ripe with stylistic choices uh, really really cool to see translated into a modern day remake because again a lot of artistic sentiment just sort of comes with a movie like this i'm not offended by a movie like this being remade actually because when put in the right hands or when put in a enthusiast's hands, this could be just as crazy. Remember, when, just... people, when people say they hate remakes, they, I, I always think that they're forgetting that um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Donald Sutherland was a remake. And that John Carpenter's The Thing is also a remake. So these are two iconic horror films that are remakes. Uh, and they 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 surpass the original. Now, there's no way that the Suspiria remake reimagining will surpass Argento's. But the fact, I mean, I mean, yeah, only time will tell. But the fact that you know they're deciding to go a different direction with it, I think, is the smart choice because otherwise, or at least they're seeming they're seeming to take a page from the stylistic choices of this movie and be like all right, we're going to hit you with some crazy stuff and it's going to be frenetic. It's going to be un uh, uneasy. It's going to make you uh, cringe at the, like that. The way the trailer was edited with such a deft hand of its style is very much a good sign for the type of movie that uh, it's coming from and that it wants to be. And yeah, I'm, I'm I, looking, I'm totally looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great. It definitely has a little bit of a feel of, like, The Witch, um, except has, like, The Witch, but in a 19, late 70s, early 80s aesthetic. Heck yeah. So, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah. So, beginning to recommending this movie, I, I don't know if I could recommend it to everybody because I don't know if a lot of people would have the patience for a movie like this. But again, I can't think of anything better or seeming like you could correct me if I'm wrong, but like, what would you recommend more in Italian classic horror than this? I don't know, man. You know, you know, the way I see it is I can wholeheartedly recommend this to anybody because you'll find out who your true friends are, you know, like the people who really like this film or the people who just think it's stupid and a waste of time. If someone looks at this movie and can't find something amazing about it. So I think it's a good litmus test for friends. You know, or people who you want to, or people who you want to talk film with in general. But yeah, this this one's fantastic. I I highly recommend it. And for Italian horror, it's it's a really solid one to do if you want something more of a slow burn, um, not as you know strange and wonderful as this, and and frenetic and like have that crazy energy to it. I I would say go with something like Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It's, you know, a a good, a really, really good Hitchcockian thriller. Yeah, um, but so, Argento is not a director to be ignored when you talk about classics in horror. That's for damn sure. 
Absolutely. Now, stuff, you know, in his later career, it, it I don't think the translation from film to digital has, has gone over so well with him. Um, but, you know, that's still... All of his films through the 70s and 80s are pretty fantastic. Right. Exactly. Well, I look forward to maybe delving into a few more before this remake is out. And uh, Well, we definitely, we, we definitely are, because uh, how we were going to talk about the second in the Three Mothers trilogy, Inferno... Oh, well, um, there we go. We are Perfect actually... Transition, we Rob. Are, we are going to be doing that, and then we will cap this off uh, after this one with uh, Mother of Tears and see... The difference between 1977, 1980, and 2007. Um, and see if this trilogy can kind of, you know, make sense all the way through as a, you know, as a cohesive whole. <laughs> I don't know about making sense, but I'll definitely give it a shot. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I have not seen Mother of Tears, um, so this will be my first time seeing that one. But yeah, we'll hit you guys next week with Inferno. Um, so be sure to check that out. As always, we do spoilers in this, so please mm -hmm. see it before Absolutely. we talk about it. Yeah, And thank you guys so much again for listening. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you'd like to find us on social media. Give us suggestions. Give us your thoughts. You can email us at ohthehorrorcast at gmail.com. And that is going to do it for us this week. Thank you again so much for your time and for your comments and for all the love you guys have been giving us. We really appreciate it. And until next time, I am Steve Allman. And I'm Rob Holmes. And we'll see you guys next time. Awesome. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. Now, it is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. And there's no more room.